the MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast, where we discuss all things crypto-related. Your host, Kieran Ryan. Strange things are happening in the world of traditional finance, with the war in Ukraine goading politicians and many companies to start shutting down Russian business and private accounts. Perhaps this is not a temporary thing, and we are being herded inexorably towards a cashless society. Will blockchain technology be a friend or a foe in this increasingly censored and restrictive society? Joining us to share her views on this is Monica Singer, Africa lead for blockchain company Consensus. Hi, Monica. Good to have you back on again. I want to get your thoughts on this. Are we being driven towards a cashless society with many countries now talking about introducing central bank digital currencies or CBDCs? And is this a good or a bad thing for people concerned about their freedoms? What's your take on this? So first of all, thank you for having me again. It's a pleasure to be here and to your listeners. Um, this is such an important topic that we need to have a conversation. So, um, you know, everything in life is, can be used for good or for bad. Okay? The truth is that we want options. And for the first time in the history of, you know, maybe the last 500 years, we have now have, we have options. From the time 2008 came and that Satoshi Nakamoto wrote the white paper creating Bitcoin, it changed completely the paradigm in financial markets and it created the idea that you can have in the internet um, a, a currency that is peer-to-peer, -peer, that it's your, you can control it, that you don't need a bank and that you don't have to disclose if you don't want to, but at the same time, it, it gives you different levels of privacy, but it's really, it's all about options. The central banks have to look at central bank digital currencies because if not, people will move to cryptocurrencies or they were going to move to stable coins. But if the central banks do not stick to the key principles that they, they should be um, sticking to, like, for example, um, if you're going to use a, a CBDC retail for um, replacing cash, then as you know, cash transactions are um, um, not disclosable, blah, blah, blah. And therefore, to, uh, if we put the, 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 this currency in the blockchain, it will be completely transparent. And therefore, yes, the central bank will have access to all the transactions that people uh, engage in in CBDCs. But if they have the right attitude and the right uh, frame of mind, which is all the benefits that a CBDC brings to the citizens, from financial inclusion, from real-time um, uh, uh, universal basic income, real-time social grants, real-time taxes, real-time transparency of transactions. If they, they take the benefits and they respect people's privacy, what do I mean? At least say any transaction below, let's say, I don't know, an amount, you know, 50,000 rand, we will not interfere. We will not, um, you know, want to know what you're doing any amount, and that can be done. You know, I even read a paper, which I love the idea that the other way to do it is not only by limiting the amount in terms of what the central bank can see, but you have a model like I created in the central securities depository, straight, whereby straight does not have the information of the beneficial owner. The beneficial owner information is sitting in the books of the custodian banks. So you could have a two-tier approach where the, the central bank is not able to see the transactions by the retailers, the, the, the money in the street. That information remains with the banks where you go and open your CBDC account, 
with a bank or another payment service provider, and therefore um, the central bank doesn't get to see the individual transactions. So, so I hope I have explained myself very well that yes, the world needs to move to this new technology because if they don't, if, if central banks don't, they, because we now have options, nobody's going to stop this um, technology revolution. And in particular, if I now can explain that there are so many benefits for governments and central banks to implement this technology, do it, do it right, and therefore you will be able to empower your own citizens with things that were not possible before. And the most important thing that I want to remind everybody, the most important thing, a CBDC, Central Bank Digital Currency, is a liability on the central bank people. That means that you are not exposed any longer to this terrible uh, credit risk that you have when you deposit your money in a bank. It's a commercial bank. Commercial banks fail. We saw that with VBS. We saw it with so many, uh, Regal, etc. And therefore, if you have a CBDC, uh, because central banks are lenders of last resort, and you know they can print the money and so forth, they, you're not exposed to the credit risk of a commercial bank. And therefore, eventually, it's a magical um, type of money to have. And the last thing, the most important thing, is that this, when the CBDCs get implemented, the central banks take on the responsibility to educate the public to use this currency. And imagine going to schools and training little girls, especially girls that are being told, don't worry, you don't need to know about money. Your husband will look after you. Ah, we know that's not the case. And therefore, we want to educate little girls from the time they're in primary school to use a, a technology that should be easy to use, as simple as using, um, like they use email or WhatsApp. The, uh, you know, everybody has either a cell phone or we even have uh, other technologies that do not require the internet or a cell phone. And it will ensure that we educate the younger generation to use this new technology from the beginning. And therefore, once they get used to this technology, they're going to start asking, what else, what else, what else? And therefore, the explosion of um, uses of the internet of value will happen because you now invested in education of the masses to know how to use um, this, you know, this technology and they will start using it for many other uses, um, you know, remittances and so many other incredible things that you can do with this technology. We saw in the last few days, Joe Biden, the US president, talking about certainly looking with some seriousness at CBDCs. We know China's quite far advanced in uh, developing its own CBDC, as are many other countries. Which are the countries that are most advanced in introducing CBDCs and who do you think will be first? Okay, so first is already China. Okay, China introduced CBDCs uh, because they wanted to um, be ready for the, for the Olympics. So, so they have introduced it, except for their model. It's exactly the model that the rest of the world shouldn't follow, which is they introduce a centralized CBDC where every single transaction is being monitored. This is not what we want, of course. So that's why we're encouraging the US, who has always led the world in technology implementation, to be the one that will then introduce CBDCs that are the right thing for the people, you know, and then that others will be able to follow. And if you want to carry on being um, the currency of choice in the world, 
I think it's an absolute no-brainer that you should be embracing this technology and being the first one that respects all the principles I just discussed. Recently, Kraken CEO Jesse Powell recommended to his clients to get their cryptos off centralized exchanges like Kraken or Coinbase. And this was in response to the Canadian government's announcement that it would freeze the bank accounts of protesting truckers. And he said, if pressed, Kraken would have to comply with governments seeking to seize your crypto assets. So he said, you've got to get them off these exchanges and put them into digital wallets. That brings us to the subject of digital wallets like MetaMask. Maybe you can explain why this is such an important development. What is MetaMask and should we all have one? Okay, let me start from the beginning. Okay, the key principle, key principle, there's a little motto, repeat after me, not your keys, not your crypto. So if you are buying cryptocurrencies from an exchange, don't leave it in the exchange. The, the blockchain has never been hacked of Bitcoin, and therefore the only thing that gets hacked is the balances in an exchange. Okay, So unless you have the, the, the keys under your control, you really don't know if you've got the crypto. Okay, Meaning under uh, as secure you know, from all the hacking, et cetera, et cetera. What happened which in Canada is just another reason why you should not leave your cryptocurrencies under the control of a, a third party. That's why this technology is the most empowering technology that has ever been brought to the world. When we do um, uh, uh, the user experience that is very simple and achievable by everybody, then people will learn to become their own bank. Here comes MetaMask. MetaMask, you go and download it for free a beautiful little icon of a fox. And then I want you to try buying, selling, transfer, whatever, whatever. It gives you a window into the decentralized finance world. It gives you the ability to buy, to sell. To, but remember, MetaMask is what is called self-custodial. Self-custodial, that means only you look after your own money. Nobody's going to look after your wallet if you lose your password. And therefore, when you download MetaMask, they teach you to keep the, 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 the seed phrases. There are certain words that they give you, and these are the most important words that you must keep very, very safe, because in the event that something happens to your wallet, you will always be able to recover the wallet if you have the seed phrases. It's like the password of your bank account, exactly the same. So the main thing is that I want people to start practicing to download the, the, the wallet and become their own bank. And I know it's very hard. And that's why what Consensus, the company I work for, the biggest blockchain company in the world, we have also now developed a technology called MetaMask for institutions. What does it mean? The institution, any institution, asset managers, wealth managers, blah, 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 they take MetaMask for institutions and they provide all the services to clients that do not want to use the wallet on their own. And this MetaMask institution has got the option of many different custodians. So you get the full-on uh, gambit of everything, not only DeFi, custody, risk management, reports, transparency, everything, but you now are appointing a trusted financial advisor, asset manager, wealth manager, to look after your funds. Because let's be honest, Karen, um, the baby boomers, we don't like this technology because we're not used to it. You know, we get scared. We like to phone someone. We like to talk to someone. We like someone to look after us. So this idea 
when I talk to you and say, let's go bankless, people are saying, no, I don't want this. I want someone to look after me. And here comes the opportunity for the banks because we have the trust and we have the network to now have the right technology to help those that do not want to be independent. And therefore the tools have been built, okay, to provide all these services. Um, so that's what MetaMask is all about. And it's an amazing technology and I encourage your listeners to practice and use it. Yeah, this is one example with MetaMask where you have to write down on paper what your, you've got a 12 word password or a 24 word passport and you have to write that down and put it away and don't store it on your computer because that can be hacked. Yeah. The blockchain has not been hacked, but your computer can be hacked. So um, people have got to understand where the weakest links are in this chain. All right, Monica, last time we spoke, you predicted the spectacular rise of DeFi or decentralized finance, which is really banking services outside of the traditional banking space. You can lend, you can borrow, you can earn interest in the space and, and quite spectacular rates of interest as well. Is DeFi living up to the expectations? And what are some of the trends in this area that are catching your eye? Okay, more than my expectations. You know, I sometimes start screaming when I see these numbers. i give you an example. If you just have a look at Uniswap. Uniswap is what is called an automated market maker. To know that the volumes in Uniswap sometimes reach higher volumes than Coinbase. Coinbase, cryptocurrency exchange listed on the NASDAQ, which reach market values higher than most banks in the world. Coinbase had high, has higher volumes than any of all the stock exchanges of, or equities, of course, combined. So, and now I'm saying to you that Uniswap, which is a decentralized autonomous organization within DeFi, in the DeFi protocols, is reaching volumes higher than Coinbase. So you tell me if the world does not belong to DeFi. And I don't know if people know this about decentralized finance, that is open source, that it's, um, in, in, the word is composability, I love this word. So composability is something you could not achieve in the legacy financial markets ever, which is integration, interoperability. To create interoperability between, let's say, one stock exchange and another is a nightmare. That's why the JC could never really link to the London stock exchange. And that's why most of the linkages around the world between exchanges has failed, because it's really complicated to integrate. Um, and therefore, you have now a DeFi uh, protocols that they all integrate. So you, for example, you can take a Uniswap automated market maker, put a token that comes from, let's say, a, a different um, token that was created in another DeFi protocol. You can buy insurance and create, a, you can create real time a portfolio of different protocols that you combine on the, on the fly. Imagine if I tell you that this, this is possible. Imagine just take the industry of unit trust, the unit trust industry, what is unit trust? It's an asset manager has to buy shares in the stock exchange, create a portfolio, and then issues these units. Behind the unit trust industry, there are hundreds of people working, doing the reconciliations, doing the audits, issuing the registers, issuing the statements. All of that is cost and cost and cost. Imagine now that you can eliminate absolutely everything I just mentioned and create a token you buy, you create your own portfolio of tokens and you can then sell the tokens in fractions. 
And therefore, you can, in real time, create a protocol of equivalent of mutual funds to the world, or ETFs to the world, real time, no cost. And if they are um, organized in what we call a decentralized autonomous organization, they're not even shareholders, board members, buildings, filing cabinets, nothing, zero. So that, imagine what it does to your cost base. If you can create the same functionality in legacy, you can create it in DeFi. And that's why people are saying, how could it be that you can get such high yields with USDC? USDC is a stable coin that is big uh, to the dollar. You can get nine, 10% returns. How? Simple, because there's no cost behind it and there's liquidity. And therefore, clearly, they can then take all that liquidity and pay you a yield. And, and with, with very little cost, can, can you see how the world is changing? Can I, can I give you one simple um, example of what I read this week on the 8th of March? It was announced. Santander, which is a, a, a Spanish bank, in very, very big in South America. As you know, I'm originally from Uruguay. They issued now a, a loan in Argentina. And the loan is collateralized, okay? The loan is collateralized to the farmers by a token that represents the grains that are in the silos. So what you do is you, you go to the silos, you, you create a token of what's in the silos, and that token can become collateral to a loan that you need in order to carry on farming. It's like selling in, it's like a futures contract, but it's not a futures contract. It's a, it's, you collateralize the actual grain, and on the, on the basis of the grain you've got in the silos, you're getting a loan. So can you see how the whole, we call it token economics, the whole asset base can be now tokenized. I'm working with clients that are tokenizing invoicing. You know, in the legacy financial market, we got, we got what is called factoring of invoicing. You sell your invoices in advance and you get a loan discounted to the value of the invoices. Now the invoices are going to be tokenized and used as collateral to get loans. Today, you can go into a DeFi protocol and put ETH. You open the account. They don't ask you where you live. Are you a woman or a man? Are you black or white? Are you nothing? They just want to know one thing, your name, your address, because they want to ensure that you live not in a country that is uh, with sanctions. So it's your name, your address, and then they want to know how much collateral have you got. Then you say, I've got, let's say, 10 ETH, and depending on how much collateral you got, then they tell you how much loans in USDC, remember, USDC is a stable coin, or even in USD, in, in dollars, they give you a loan in dollars based on the collateral. And you leave the collateral and you only have to pay the loan in a year. And if you put more collateral than they asked you, you earn interest on that collateral and therefore the interest pays for the loan. And you did not sell your crypto. Do you understand what I've just told you? This is the most incredible features of DeFi and it blows you away every day because new and new protocols are coming to the market. You can't keep up. And that's the beauty of MetaMask. MetaMask is the wallet that gives you the window into all these protocols. So yeah, so you tell me if I shouldn't be excited uh, about the future because every day is another miracle. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm quite fascinated with the Santander Bank lending facilities. So do I understand this correctly, that you've got a farmer who's taking out a loan against a crop which is not yet harvested? Is that right? 
No, no, no. The the soy is uh, is is backed by the grains, soy, wheat, and corn that are in the silo. So the corn is there, it's stored. You can touch it and feel it and and stop counting. This is not you know I'm uh, you know you're inventing. No, this is proper grain that has been tokenized. I, I think well you know the last time we spoke. A few months ago, in fact, this was in 2021, you were talking about fractional real estate and fractional share ownership. And all of these things are coming to pass at a fantastically rapid rate. Uh, You you now have, even here in South Africa, where you can purchase a small piece of a property down in the Cape, there's a new token being issued on the the Libex exchange where you can buy a, a small piece of two hotels on the Zambezi River at Victoria Falls. These kind of things are happening. You know, artwork where you can own a small piece of, of artwork through NFTs. This, of course, is, is one application, but you can really extrapolate that and see all kinds of ways that you can financialize the economy or you can financialize hard assets. Maybe give us some of the projects that you're looking at or you're involved with at the moment along this line. Well, uh, we call it the token economy. That means that everything will eventually be tokenized. But I give you one it's one project I'm working on that it really it blows my mind to think that this is possible. You know, um, it's a you know that I work remotely from Cape Town, but I work with all these uh, projects around the world. So one of the projects I'm working on is with the Asian Development Bank. So the ADB got together all the central banks in Asia and all the central securities in Asia. Okay, so central securities depositors in Asia. Um, you have to understand that. This project that I'm working on has never been possible in the history of the legacy financial markets. And and having been the CEO straight for 20 years, I can assure you we try. We try to be able to link the CFTs around the world so that if you are sitting, let's say, in um, Thailand and you're buying shares in the Hong Kong Stock Exchange, you should be able to settle those transactions real time. That is being uh, a pipe dream that has never been possible. And today, with blockchain, you can achieve that. So imagine that you can link all the CSDs, all the central banks, small cross-border transactions in a region. So for example, let's go back to Africa. What about the fact that in Africa, as you know very well, if I buy something from Tanzania, whatever, Nigeria. If I, let's say I'm in South Africa, I buy things from Nigeria. I have to pay in Naira. And, you know, really, there's very few banks that will do a rand to Naira a transaction. So what does, what does it happen? You go rand, US dollar. So that means you have to involve a, um, a correspondent bank. Dollar, Naira, another correspondent bank. And everybody takes a cut and it takes time and money. And Manny, so really the idea is, as you remember, you know, many conversations have taken place to create one currency in Africa, which we know why it wouldn't have helped or would have been problematic. Now we know that we can create a token of the different currencies, create what we call a stable coin, okay, a unique token, and then that token gets, let's say, collateralized, and then we decide. The collateral could be could be USD, or it could be shares, could be a basket of all the currencies in the region. But the issue is that then you immediately, by tokenizing this, this coin, then you agree amongst the parties that you're going to use this coin 
for payments of a cross-border. And that can apply for any transaction like, you know, buying and selling goods, or it could be for the cross-border settlement of transactions on the exchanges. So for the first time, we can do this cross-border delivery versus payment. And that was an impossibility in the capital markets until now. So if that's not going to keep me excited, I don't know what is going to keep me excited. But can I give you another one? I have to give you another one, Karen, if, if you allow me. This is, this is amazing. Carry on. Okay, so let me give you this one. As you heard, this terrible war in Ukraine and Russia, okay? Do you know, I don't know if the listeners know, but I, I used to work for the World Bank. And in the World Bank, one of the key problems has been that when the money gets shipped to various countries for whatever projects, not always is able to track that the money went to the right places. Many times the money is, you know, um, yeah, it, it goes to the wrong place. And therefore, because it's not real time, because you rely on intermediaries, you rely on auditors, you rely on the accountant general of that country to ensure that the books and records are going to be kept properly, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Now we are seeing that donations are being given in crypto to the Ukrainians, and you can see exactly how the Ukrainians are using the money, real time. So you know exactly that they bought a tank or that they bought um, food or that they you can track real time where the money goes. So this um, humanitarian um, um, example will, in my humble opinion, change the world. And once and for all, the world will realize that this technology, blockchain, reduces corruption, increases transparency, your procurement processes should be in the blockchain, and, and the, the government finances should be in the blockchain so that we all know where the money goes, how I taxes are being used, et cetera, et cetera. So this, I hope, it will be the beginning of a world of full transparency, real-time um, accounting and real-time auditing and, and complete transparency of where the funds are going. I'd like to get your thoughts on this one. Uh, NFTs, non-fungible tokens, which are really being used to monetize digital art and digital creations. But, you know, you do hear stories of people creating a, a unicorn which looks like you know something a 12 year old could put together in 10 minutes and selling that for tens of thousands of dollars a lot of people are saying it's a fad what's your view on this should we care about this is it a fad or will it last first of all it's not a fad you know like i love art you know i love art especially abstract okay when a uh, polak i don't know if you know who he was but he was a fantastic beautiful art artist abstract and everybody used to say oh anybody can do that you know, he threw paint on the floor, you know, really, you know, and there's so many artists, you know, that when you look at them, you think, oh, it's childish. Really? Well, it's not childish, it's art. And therefore, yes, you know, um, it's in the eye of the beholder. The, the main point here is, I don't think that we baby boomers understand the, um, what's going to happen because we were not part of the gaming culture, we were really not stuck in our computers most of the day. You know, um, from the, you know, I've got a grandson, he's three. You know, he is so good at uh, understanding how to navigate not only the TV, but uh, the iPad. And, and he just thinks with, you know, technology that I look at this and say, oh my gosh. So the point is that for them to live in the metaverse where all this art is going to be there, is going to be the norm. He, he, I don't think he's going to enjoy really going to a real museum 
I think he's going to enjoy art and music and any expression, um, even clothing, you know, like the um, consensus has offices in Decentraland, which is a metaverse. And we, you know, we have to have this avatar. And the, you know what? I have to be honest. My, there's not a beautiful clothes that I can give to my avatar. So I get really annoyed that I have to dress my avatar with stupid little clothes. Now I heard that all the brands are coming to the metaverse. So I'll be able to go to a Louis Vuitton shop and go and get myself a beautiful bag in the metaverse and a beautiful top and shoes. And, and if, you know, I'm a baby boomer, I'm getting excited about this. Imagine the younger generation is going to be the only thing they're going to want to do. And just remember that these NFTs create community, create identity. You know, there's certain uh, NFTs, if you own them, you're very, very special. Already we know that you're a super special person because if you could afford to buy one of these board apes, oh my gosh, you know, just having that board ape in your profile says everything about you. I think that's going to be more important than even owning a Lamborghini, you know, that someone can go and hijack you. You know, the status of a person is going to be more defined by the NFTs that they own and they can show than by anything else. So I'm saying to you, not only that is going to be the norm, like for those that like to collect things, I love collecting things. Now everything collectible will be, you know, digital, but also it's going to be the way of the future for people to monetize. You know, Web 3.0. It's different to the other way. So web 1.0 was the read, you know, information. Web 2.0 was read and write, you know, and you use all this centralized app. Web 3.0 is really read, write, and burn. You can monetize for the first time anything you produce, you know. And then I don't know if you know about gaming and what's happening in the world of gaming, but imagine these kids in Philippines are playing this game called Axie Infinity, and they're earning more income than if they were um, having menial jobs or any job. So I really believe that we could empower uh, young people that currently are unemployed in South Africa to be able to learn how to get, play these games and earn an income, no matter where they live. It doesn't matter. They just need access to the internet and we need to train them how to play these games. And the beauty of learning how to play games is that once you understand gaming, then the metaverse makes sense. And then DeFi is going to make sense and everything's going to make sense. And I think that that's why I think baby boomers are battling with this technology because we were never really a part of that revolution of, of spending time in the computer playing games. You mentioned gaming and this other concept of you're going to be measured by, you know, keeping up with the Joneses, so to speak, in the metaverse. So you know, do you have Louis Vuitton handbags and clothing and, and do you drive a Lamborghini, all of this, this kind of the accoutrements of living in the metaverse? One of the things that Charles Hoskinson, who is the co-founder or the founder of Cardano, he's working on a digital ID with the Ethiopian government and a few other governments around Africa at the moment. And I think the idea behind this is long term. When I say long term in, in this, we're talking probably within the course of this year where you, you will have a rather public identification where people want to, you know, if you want to look at, you know, Monica Singer, you would make certain of your information available. This is what I own. This is who I am. This is my ID and that kind of thing. And it would be available to the public and there would be certain permissions around there. What, what's your view on that? Because at the moment, if you go to a traditional bank, um, or you go to four or five different banks looking for a loan, you're having to do KYC, know your customer, 
in interrogations five different times. What if you only to do that once and it's there permanently? You will see, first of all, it's not only Charles in Ethiopia. We're doing it in South Africa. Um, have a look at what Bank Service is doing. What about the uh, CSRR, um, the, the um, SAMBA, South Africa National Blockchain Association. Talk to all of them. This is a major, major project because everything will begin with what we call self-sovereign identity. What does it mean? Instead of, let's say, the, the, the degrees um, uh, of your, your university being held in the central database of the university, instead of the uh, title deeds being held uh, in microfishing at the register of properties, etc. you get my drift, uh, the uh, cars, uh, driver's license, your ID, your passport, we know exactly what's going on in South Africa between the driver's license and the home affairs division. Wait, have you ever been in a queue at the home affairs? It's, it's really a criminal act, what we're committing, of all these mothers that had a baby that they have to have um, their birth certificate and they are standing in the queue for hours waiting to uh, be seen uh, and they're carrying the babies. Uh, don't get me started there. So imagine that in future, the whole idea is going to be that all the data is going to be under the person's control, self-sovereign, and therefore not in the central databases. And then add to this, I don't know if you know what, uh, that one of the biggest um, um, you know, uh, uh, crimes that have been committed around the world is that when people have to live in a hurry, they leave with nothing. You saw it now with Ukraine, you saw it with Afghanistan, you saw it with so many people that have been displaced. And they live not only with nothing, they live without any history. And in some instances, the history of, let's say, the property, the degrees, the, the assets, the vehicle, that um, database gets destroyed in, in, in conflicts, in, in war. And imagine, I'll give you an example. Imagine now the Russians bomb the central database of property in Ukraine. The people left, they come back, and nobody knows what they own. Imagine if that information was in a cloud and that the individual's control. So no matter where you go, nobody will take that away from you. And, you know, I know of people that are sweeping the streets that have, uh, are doctors and accountants and lawyers, but because they cannot prove that they have a degree when they get displaced, they end up being um, no one because they have not even an ID or a passport because they had to live in a hurry. So that is what we are now trying to uh, completely um, change in the world. Self-government identity is going to be the massive game changer for the world. And don't get me started about um, health. You know, the fact that uh, the, the information about your health is held in a central database of either vitality or some medical aid or someone else. Every time you go to a new doctor, they always ask you, give me your medical history. Why should you have to start again? You should be able to have all that information under your control. You feed it in an email before you even go to the doctor and the doctor should have already assessed a lot of the information about your medical history compared to artificial intelligence, not even have to go and see the doctor. And that information should be kept up to date under your control. And no matter where you are, you should be able to have that information. So. This is going to be, for me, the game changer for the world. And that's where we should be spending a lot of energy in trying to improve uh, the quality of life of people by giving that data back to the owners, which is the people. 
Well, I think you're painting a fascinating world of possibilities there, Monica. And I think we're going to leave it at that. That's a lot to chew on. Thanks very much for joining us and sharing your insights. Pleasure, my pleasure. And I hope that everything I'm saying will come to pass. <laughs> okay, Monica, thanks thank so you. much. Okay, thank you. Keep on. Bye-bye. <laughs> thanks for listening to the MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast, hosted by Kieran Ryan. To listen to our other podcasts, Go to moneyweb.co.za or the MoneyWeb app and follow MoneyWeb News for daily updates.